5: And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg.
0: Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from the state of Nayarit in Mexico in Punta Mita. In fact, we're coming to you from the Four Seasons, Punta Mita, an amazing hotel just about celebrating its 20th anniversary. And what a remarkable hotel it is. I love this segment of the program because most Americans are very guilty of this. And, and I'll, I'll be speaking about this later in the show as well. But we are so guilty. We come to an amazing resort like this. And it is an amazing resort. Let us not uh, soft sell this. It's true. But then we never leave the resort. We never get out of the building. We never get out of the restaurant. We never get out of the... We might go to the beach, but that's it. And life is so much more important than just a pina colada in your hands. And my next guest knows a lot about that because she's a biologist, a leader of of, of the Wildlife Connection, and she is someone who, who lectures here, who takes people out and shows you what's really out here. And if you want to talk about biodiversity... Boy, have you come to the right place. Mara Rodriguez, how are you? Hi. I'm, I, I know this is radio, but I'm looking out at a beautiful ocean here. I'm, it's a sea, actually. I mean, there's so much out there that people take for granted or never even see because they don't go more than 20 feet from their room.
5: Well, the good thing of this area is that you, during winter, can see the whales out here from your window.
0: Yes, and you know, I will tell you a story. We did, I'm not making this up, I did a special with the then president of Mexico, uh, Felipe Calderon, and we went out here whale watching. And on that day, and we were told, oh, there are 1,100 whales, they're everywhere. And we got out there, I'm I'm not making this up, we got out there and no whales. And uh, my camera crew is there, everybody's there, and he brought his kids. And I said, you know, Mr. President, there's a legend that if the kids sing a song, the whales will come. And since we just happened to have some kids, maybe they could sing. So they started singing to Las Ballenas, mm-hmm. right? And out of nowhere, I'm not making this up, a whale comes up to the boat and literally kisses the president. You couldn't make it up, but they're out there. And there are lots of them. They here, they are here all the time.
5: Yes, you can find uh, cetaceans in this area all the time, depending on which months the species that you can see here.
0: Now, when we mentioned Wildlife Connection, you're doing real ecotours. Yes. Tell me what happens on an ecotour for you.
5: Okay, on ecotours you do... No a massive tours, that's one of the main things. You do small groups in the way that you don't disturb the area or the animals that you're visiting. And what you do is to learn about the animals and to learn about the, their habitat, how to protect them, and if possible, how to interact with them, but with respect.
0: Now, obviously, what comes to mind initially, of course, is whales and dolphins, but we go way beyond that, don't we? hmm Such as?
5: Okay. Uh, with whales, you'll need to go, or it's better if you go on a smaller boat with some engines that doesn't make too much noise. That's really good. You, can, and you don't have to be moving or spitting. You just do slowly.
0: And they come to you.
5: And they, you can have really good results with that. Even uh, my captain says that he's taking out his cellular to talk with the whales, but what he does is he takes out his hand and slap in the water, and the whales respond very good for that. You can have really eye contact or the whales coming to spy on the boat. They're curious. Yes, they're very curious animals. You can find that behavior very easily if you know how they behave or how the movements that they are doing, and you'll say, this whale is going to be (laughs) curious. Let's take advantage And, of course,
0: the dolphins are more than curious. They're just playful.
5: Yes, they're uh, very uh, intelligent animals, and as you mentioned, they are very playful. Of course, they're very curious as well. Being intelligent makes them curious. So if something attracts their attention, they will get close to it.
0: Now, you've also done, there's a research component to what you do. You're looking right now at the impact of whale-watching tours, because at a certain point, you know, we we have a, a concept that is now becoming, you know, very much in vogue, to talk about, and maybe we should be talking about it, over tourism. So to what point, you know, are, we, are we watching too much? Are we doing too much? Are we, are we hanging out too much?
5: Okay, that's a good uh, point. Uh, when people get involved or when people begin to get informed about there's a whale watching tours, there's many whales in that area, of course, many people will come to the area to try to see them. The best way, as I mentioned, is to take smaller boats. Sometimes it's too much people, and they take big boats. There are tours that go well, watching with big boats.
0: Are there controls?
5: There are regulations. Does, but, anybody,
0: does anybody follow them? Uh,
5: not that much, because mainly it's, there's no like uh, environment police. Taking, not,
0: that is not good.
5: That's the bad thing. Even if it exists, they are not outside, like, checking all that things so, so what's
0: so i mean what's the point then if you're if you're gonna have policies that can't be enforced
5: it's the way it works here at the moment not good not good at all i uh, we're always trying to push to have someone outside watching or
0: but you know here's here's point. a suggestion mm-hmm. You know, travel and tourism, the largest industry in the world, 11% of global GDP, right? One out of 10 jobs, even more importantly, one out of every five five new jobs. People vote with their wallets. If people are educated, if you're educating the people who come down here to say, listen, this is what you need to do, and if they're not going to do that, tell them you're not going to pay for it, things might turn around.
5: Yes, uh, that's what's going to be my next step to tell you, that if there are no polices around, like environment police, Uh, the people that come to visit can be our eyewitness police, okay? Because they can be watching how even the tour operator that they chose is behaving. They can be telling, don't get that close, or there's too many boats around, let's go and find some other whales. I don't feel comfortable if we're bothering this animal, please, let's don't do it. And the tour operator will begin to learn. How exactly. To do
0: it. Uh, you know, there's a place not far from here where it used to be a fishing village, mm-hmm. and they overfished. And it was done by families. And one day the families woke up, one of the families woke up and said, Look what we've done. And they petitioned the government to turn it into a marine sanctuary. And they convinced all the other families that this was worth it for them. Because they could now be a sanctuary and not earn a li- living from killing fish, but from letting people observe fish. And it worked. I mean, and it was all done by the locals. They finally were able to run the numbers and realize that the, that the marine life was worth more to them alive than dead.
5: Yes, of course, because a dead, uh, an animal, if you kill it or you sell it, you're just going to get a amount of money at that moment. Exactly. But if you conserve it and you show people and try to protect them, you will have money through all your life. And through the generations.
0: Now, I can also come volunteer with you with the sea turtles, can I?
5: Yes, of course. This is a very good area for sea turtles. Uh, the season begins in, in the middle of June. That's when the turtles begin to lay eggs. And they stop laying eggs up to January, more or less. Wow. So
0: Amazing.
5: there are many months that people can see turtles. But the main months for turtles in the area, it's from August to November.
0: Okay, so we're, we're coming up on it. That's yes,
5: great. Yeah. Oh, perfect. And you can see many babies hatching, many females laying eggs.
1: It's
0: and you can very... also help release them back in. Yes, Mara Rodriguez, the uh, biologist and leader of the Wildlife Connection, I should tell you that their that their website is it's an easy one, There's WildlifeConnection.com.
6: Oh,
7: on second thoughts, let's not go to Camelot. It is a silly place.
6: I've been everywhere, man. Crossed the deserts, bare man. I breathe the mountain air, man. Travel, I've had my share, man. I've been
5: everywhere.
0: I'm happy to welcome back uh, an old friend. The last time we did this show, you were here. I loved it. Um, he's the executive director of the San Pancho Bird Observatory, right here in in Mexico. Luis Morales, how are you? Great,
2: Peter. Thank you for uh, the invitation once again. I'm oh, happy listen. to be here.
0: You know, when you look around, I mean, this particular part of Mexico, you have how many different species of birds?
2: Uh, over 300 species just here in the Punta de Mita or uh, Southern Nayarit area.
0: So if you're a birder or even if you're not a birder, your opportunity here to see stuff you've never seen before is, is almost unparalleled.
2: Exactly. <laughs>
0: and But, you know, you, you have the bird sanctuary or the bird observatory, but there are birds all over the resort.
2: Oh, yes, and uh, literally every uh, village, you know, and everywhere you go has um, some um, sort of specialty, you know, depending on the on the habitat. But, yes, just here uh, right around the resort, you know, there's uh, so many uh, great bird species, including many um, unique species to the area.
0: And some of them are, are migratory, I mean, because they come down for the winter. Exactly. They're we, snowbirds.
2: Exactly. We have uh, birds coming all the way from Alaska, you know, mostly along the western flyway but um this uh, particular area of mexico um has also some species coming from the eastern flyway you know so we also get species from texas from um, they're traveling a long way yes the east coast
0: you know one of the things that opened my eyes when i was in mexico a number of years ago was of course the monarch butterflies that was absolutely spectacular to realize first of all not just how far they've flown But how many of them there are. And uh, I was a little concerned because last year they they were starting to tell me that there are fewer of them coming down, but there's still a lot.
2: Yes, there are still a lot. However, uh, both uh, monarch butterflies as well as uh, many uh, bird populations are declining, you know, and this is is truly alarming. Well, there's multiple reasons, you know, from uh, pollution to climate change, habitat change, and fragmentation. So this is, you know, actually one of the reasons why we do um, ecotourism, you know, because uh, we have found that there's a way that we can also uh, help birds, you know, and bird conservation through ecotourism, and uh, that's,
0: um, that's what we are all about. <laughs> but I'm going to go back to the monarch butterflies. Yes. The other thing yes, that just yes. fascinated me was yes. not that they just did it every year. They came back to the exact, lo- like, radar. A yes. Pinpoint navigation, thousands of miles to the exact same location. Yes, that's one of the is. great. To me, that's still one of the great mysteries of the planet. <laughs>
2: it is amazing, you know, how an insect, you know, such a bo- uh, monarch butterfly or a small bird, you know, like a hummingbird or a small warbler, can uh, remember the exact same location as you were mentioning and have uh, what scientists call a, this site fidelity. You know they tend to come back to the same uh, place. You know the same thing happens with sea turtles. You know they tend to come to the nest. Oh yes, uh, beaching to the to the nest nesting uh, place. You know. Uh,
0: you know what happens? In- I live on an island in New York called Far Island, and every year, without fail, the same three swans show up at my house. <laughs> now, could it be because I feed them? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but they know. I mean, they, they, and without fail, and. And if they see me, wherever they are in the bay, they come. And they're not, they're not domesticated by any means. It's just, <laughs> it's just amazing to see that they always come back to the same place. But you have another issue about declining populations, too, and that's trafficking.
2: Yes, yes. And uh, unfortunately, uh, here in this uh, part of Mexico where we have uh, many parrot species, uh, well, right now we have uh, four parrot species, which are all protected in Mexico we have 22 uh, parrot species and all of them are protected by the uh, Mexican laws Sure
0: but you know there's one thing to say you're protected by the law there's another way that, there's another thing to actually enforce the law and they don't have enough people to do that
2: Yes that's one of the challenges you know that that we have you know a, a law enforce- enforcement but uh, here's where we believe that um, education and um, providing um, community alternatives, you know, like um, ecotourism, can be a great incentive for local communities to change, you know, from a more um, a predatory, you know, a, a perspective, you know, or a more, let's say, a like, utilitarian use of nature, you know, or a more direct and short-term um, use of nature, you know, like could be pet trade, you know, where you can only benefit once, you know, from, say, you know, a, a family of birds, whereas, uh, you know, with ecotourism, you can visit that same family of birds, you know, for many times, you know, and create more benefits, not only for Well, you also have to educate the, the
0: people who live here that these animals are worth more to them alive than, than, than dead.
2: Exactly, yeah, or you know, or, ta- a, a, or taken somewhere else. Exactly, yeah. or living in a cage or as pets. And, and this is a, a great um, part of the work we do both within our tours but also as part of our um, education and community outreach. If you are continuing on
4: to another Southwest
3: destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information.
8: If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care.
0: My next guest is another expatriate. I always find great expatriates here in Mexico. She escaped from Vancouver. Can I say escaped?
8: Absolutely. Okay, good. From the rain, anyways.
0: From the rain, and uh, found her refuge right here in Vallarta. And she's actually the editor of the Vallarta Tribune, Madeline Milne. How are you? Great,
8: great.
0: How long have you been down here now?
8: This is just wrapping up my eighth year actually, in August.
0: And no regrets?
8: No, not really. No.
0: What brought you down here originally?
8: Opportunities to um, try something new. I was in a bit of a flux in my life, and uh, things just worked out, so packed everything so up. So basically,
0: you, you weren't planning on it, but here you are.
8: Yeah, exactly.
0: So you came down almost by omission or default.
8: <laughs> Pretty much, yeah.
0: And why here, though?
8: Well... Specifically, Puerto Vallarta, and, and we did consider some other places. And uh, who's It uh, was my husband and my son. Okay. And we decided Puerto Vallarta for a couple of reasons. One, because of the mountains and the bay are very similar to what we have in Vancouver, so it, it really does feel um, familiar. And the other was that it's a short, four-hour direct flight. It's really easy to get in and out of Puerto Vallarta. Um, all your services and amenities are here, and if you need to hop back to Canada or the States. It's, it's easy. It's easy. Yeah.
0: But then once you came down, I was like, whoops, I'm staying.
8: <laughs> I'm staying. Absolutely. And what keeps you here? Well, uh, it's just such a great lifestyle. You know, it's, it's, it's very casual. It's for the most part quite simple. I really enjoy the work that I do. I'm lucky in that way as I managed to find a, a great job here in Mexico where there aren't a lot of great jobs. So. There's that. Um, and, you know, I mean, every weekend or any free time I have, I can just head off and explore. So.
0: And the rest of your family?
8: Well, most of them are back in Canada. What I, happened? I know, right? Uh, well, my brother and sister are still working. They make their way down for vacations. But you like had that. a kid? Yeah. He's here? No, he's gone back to Canada because he's finishing high school. Ah. So he wanted to And your husband? Uh, he's here.
0: Okay. Yeah. So you salvaged that?
8: Yeah. Yes. There you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> for people who've never been here before, or even for people who are returning, I mean, the, the growth has been quite a lot. I yes, mean, it, it has. It really has. And the change has happened. What's the, the biggest surprise to them when they first come back? Or when people come here for the first time?
8: I think there's this perception that Mexico is poor. Um,
0: well, the stereotypes are the rampant.
8: The stereotypes, yeah, absolutely. And, and you get off the plane and you think you're going to see all these... Sombreros. Poor people and sombreros and and that just of course it exists still to an extent, and we have to respect that, but it it's just not what you see when you're here on vacation um, Mexicans themselves are, are are quite wealthy and you know wealthy Mexicans are extremely wealthy um, and so you know there isn't there isn't this level of poverty you're not going to some poverty stricken third world country anymore
0: and if you want a sombrero, hire a mariachi band exactly yeah. and yeah. Then, then they'll take care of that for you. yeah but the big surprise to so many of my friends when they come down is number one, it's safe, right? The perception Absolutely. is, oh, the minute you cro- you crossing the border, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of like you know Sancho Panza, you know, it's crazy.
8: It is, and it's that also just isn't a reality. Um, it doesn't bear out in the statistics, and it doesn't bear out in your day to day life. I live here eight years, and but I'm
0: sure your friends in Canada are saying, "Are you safe?" Oh, for sure, all the time, right? All
8: the time, yeah. Uh, particularly when I first moved, like shocked that I would bring a child to Mexico. It's just...
0: just yeah, yeah the hell with I you. Thought. That's word that you bring a kid here. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay, you've been here eight years. Right. So, I, you know, obviously people coming down here, they're going to eat at the hotel, uh, at least most of their meals. But if you can get out of the... If I could actually use an industrial-strength spatula and drag you out of the hotel, where would you take me for breakfast?
8: Breakfast. There's a lot of great places for breakfast, of course. Um, but I think... Maybe one of the most special places is a little restaurant called La Capella, and it's attached to the Hacienda San Angel Boutique Hotel downtown in Puerto Vallarta.
0: And, of course, the name Elizabeth Taylor comes to mind because that was Night of the Iguana.
8: Exactly. Yeah. I
0: remember that movie. Oh my God. I mean, I I was, I was a baby. I was a baby, but I remember it. And who was down here when she was making the movie? Richard Burton. It was, it was the big scandal. I love it. Yeah.
8: The hotel is actually Richard Burton's uh, original house that's been converted. And so now the restaurant La Capella is this open air private cathedral that's been converted into a restaurant and it overlooks the main plaza, Puerto Vallarta and the ocean. And you have the crown of the the church in front of you—it's absolutely spectacular.
0: So my guess would be, if you want to have breakfast there, go on Sundays because that's when they really do it up.
8: Yeah, that's that's they—they they do a special brunch on Sundays with the mariachi and. uh Oh,
0: that's where you'll find a sombrero. there, yeah, you, go. there <laughs> you go. Exactly. <laughs> if you're a desperate need of a sombrero, that's where you find it. Yeah,
8: yeah, it's it's very sophisticated, but it's also just such a beautiful spot with so much history. And lunch, lunch. Oh, we're heading to uh, Lidibu Grill, which is actually just around the corner from here, uh, just north of Punta Mita on Lidibu Beach. It's um, a big open-air palapa that serves, um, f- it's fine dining, but it's very casual, and it's mostly a seafood menu, but you're just right on the beach, and it's you and, and they have a giant um, dog named Wilson, and, and it's you and Wilson. You the, go for the you dog. You it's, go for the dog. I do, it's true, yeah. Beautiful spot, absolutely stunning.
0: Okay, so, and what do you order there?
8: Well, I actually was just there last weekend, and I ordered the catch of the day, because why not, right? And it was spectacular. Probably the best piece of fish I've ever had. Really? What kind really? of What was it? It was a cod. Cod was, here? Yeah. Wow. It was absolutely stunning. It was, you don't uh,
0: necessarily relate to cod in Mexico.
8: No, you don't, no. But it was really light, and oh, the sauce was this coconut chili cream. Oh, I might go back again tomorrow. <laughs> uh,
0: by the way, she's smiling and looking skyward as she talks about this. And dinner?
8: Where are we going for dinner? Oh, I'm going to introduce you to the neighborhood called Versailles, and it's uh, downtown Puerto Vallarta. Spelled like Versailles. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. And uh, it's the new up-and-coming uh, neighborhood. It's full of galleries and little shops, and uh, it's and, and there's the, a
0: great art scene there. There at, is, at yeah, night, yeah,
8: yeah. All the, um, a lot of younger chefs are opening bistros and such in that neighborhood. And so we're going to head to Barrio Bistro, which is uh, this wonderful garden setting, uh, beautiful art, really, really inventive menu with a lot of um, farm-to-table sort of uh, items.
0: And when you think about it, sourcing is no longer an issue here. People can get anything they want.
8: You can you really can. There's not much that you lack for in this country anymore. Yeah.
0: And telecommunications? Good?
8: Better than Canada. Come on. Absolutely. And and considerably cheaper.
0: The cheapness part I figure, but really Wi-Fi and everything is better?
8: Everything. Yeah. It is. I don't know what the, what the problem with Canada is, but Mexico has made huge strides, you know. most people... I have never
0: heard about people complaining about Canada for Wi-Fi, especially <laughs> comparing it to Mexico. My God. I'm surprised. Okay.
8: Yeah.
0: yeah. Right. So, yeah. I
8: have almost zero issue with, with uh, being connected here.
0: I love it. If you can get a signal, you can be anywhere. Exactly. That's That's my motto. Yeah. Give me a signal, I'll go anywhere.
8: Exactly. Because, exactly.
0: you know, people don't change their lifestyle when they change their location. They, they're addicted to Wi-Fi wherever they happen to be.
8: Yeah. I can do my job from pretty much anywhere in the world as well, so...
0: What's your biggest challenge as a, as a community?
8: As a community, I think we have, uh, right now we're fighting the infrastructure problem. There's a lot of developments going up and not a lot of attention being paid to things like parking and, and public spaces, and I think that needs to change.
0: And, and the infrastructure in terms of traffic?
8: There's a lot of traffic. There's a, and and that's unfortunate. Um, you know, here, if you're here as a tourist, it's probably not going to affect you very much. Um, but when you live here, you find you. You know, I used to be able to get to Punta Mita in 30 minutes. Now it takes an hour.
0: So you go at different times. Yeah. See? Exactly. Welcome to the real world. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. When, when we finish this show today, I'm, I'm going up to Los Angeles, and I'm going to be on the San Diego freeway, exactly. missing Punta Mita. That's right. <laughs> right?
8: Yeah. Yeah. It's, just, uh, it's reality. That's for sure.
0: It is, and when your friends come down here, when they come to visit you—not just your family members—when your friends come down, what's the biggest surprise to them?
8: What is the biggest surprise? I—I think probably for them it's the same. They think they're coming down here for a wild party scene, and—and and it's not necessarily all that anymore. You know, there's a lot more diversity of things to do. We get off the resort and check out the nature, check out the water, check out the galleries and the shops and things like that.
5: My baby beside me at the wheel
2: Cruising and playing the radio With no
9: particular place to go
0: Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles And virtually every genre So check it out for yourself Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com www.audiblepodcast.com Travel today to get a free audiobook and thirty-day trial. When we try to define the word hospitality, uh, how do you define it? Well, obviously, you want it to be welcoming. You want it to be anticipatory. You want it to recover well. It's not just about delivering the service. It's about understanding the culture, understanding the needs, and getting ahead of the curve. And hotels all say they have it. Most of them don't these days. Uh, most of them are housing you. They're they're not hosting you. And my next guest runs this joint. Uh, But I've known him for 23 years. And I can tell you, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm a fan. He redefines the traditional definition of hospitality. Probably why he's had his job so long. uh, And they don't rotate him out like they they do so many other hotel managers. His name, of course, is John O'Sullivan. And he's not just the general manager here. He's the regional vice president now. They give you a big promotion at Four
6: Seasons Resorts everywhere. How are you, John? Wonderful to have you back home with us here in Mexico, Peter.
0: Now, you just, Did you hear how he responded to me? Now you understand what hospitality is all about. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a very soothing guy. <laughs> but let's get down to nuts and yeah, bolts yeah. here because the industry's changed. Okay. Ownership has changed. Accountants are coming in. Uh, they're, looking at, they're looking at the numbers much more uh, crucially. The same thing as the airline business. And even a hotel, I won't even say chain, but I'll say a company like Four Seasons has to be cognizant of, and at least aware of the fact of the slow invasion of the accountants. Um, because at a certain point, your guests especially will know if something's moved. And I'll give you an example. I have a good friend of mine who used to be the, your counterpart at Ritz-Carlton. And he came to the Ritz-Carlton in New York one day and walked into the bar. And everything was the same, except he went to the bar and all of a sudden, it was no longer a linen napkin. It was a paper napkin. It was no longer a crystal. It was the, I mean, little things that he noticed right away that the guests may not notice right away but they pick up on, absolutely right? So how do you fight against that in a world where the accountants have seemingly taken over?
6: Yeah, you know, I see the accountants as as our partners, and the reality is that the guests that we have throughout the world want and expect the four-season service, which isn't about diluting, and it's about really having a superior product, maintaining that, but more importantly, just having it serviced and maintained by real service warriors and authentic people who do send emails but don't live on their iPhone, <laughs> who are actually out meeting people. Having conversations. Having conversations, a novel concept. And you know, knowing a guest isn't having a spreadsheet about them, it's about being physically out there. And to me, uh, hostmanship or hospitality has evolved, but still the core is the same, and that is to make people feel warmth, welcome, authenticity, transparency, and also the desire to be able to share, especially in somewhere like Mexico, an experiential exposure to them so that they feel that they are part of the place, not just being housed, but not only being homed, but also having been honed to the culture of space and place.
0: Now, all those are great mission statements, but then yeah. you have to deliver. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I'll, I'll give you an example that just happened to a friend of mine, and she posted it on, on Facebook just yesterday. She was flying to Australia, and uh, when she got to the hotel, she, re- she realized and she'd been reading a book. And she realized she left the book on the plane. And in the course of the conversation with, with the, the concierge, you know, uh, she's, you know, did you have a nice flight? She just, oh, yeah, but uh, I left my book on the plane. She came back to her hotel room three hours later, and there was the book. Beautiful. They just went out and got her one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it's not a question of how much did that cost, no. how much is that
6: worth? Absolutely. And to me, I call it cerebral hospitality. It's that ability to be able to, everyone can put the food on your plate, but how do you wow someone? How do you find out DNA of a guest and be able to simply exceed their expectations? You know, and you're challenged with that every day. Yeah, but you know something? I see it as a beautiful joy. We have more than 1,000 Mexican service warriors here. They're not here just for sort of three months waiting until they get uh, a job in Hollywood. They're here. This is you mean profession. they're not out-of-work actors? They're not out-of-work <laughs> actors. And they're here because they want to be here and they want to be able to authentically, genuinely make the difference. That's the Mexican heart.
0: It's not a job for them. It's a profession. It's it's calling. It's, it's a calling. I'll tell you, last night at dinner, I, I, I do this all the time. I, I do engage people in conversations, as you know. And I asked the, the, the waiter last night, you know, how, what was his name? How long has he worked here? He's worked here 14 years, Yeah, yeah,
6: yeah. you know, and, and proud of it. Yeah, and, and for us, tenure is about ensuring also that you remain relevant, you know, we're not a retirement home, and it's really, really important that each and every single person is there to support the cause, which is that every person and guest who comes here leaves feeling that they've had a not a hotel experience but a, a spirit experience. Although, I have to
0: warn you, John, that when I retire, I think I'm coming here. <laughs> I'm gonna no, move in. Don't worry, we'll, that's we'll, right. we'll,
6: we'll give you special <laughs> a special
0: pass. A special pass, yes, if, as long as I'm coherent. Well,
6: that's sort of always been a little bit questionable. I know, so, <laughs> Thank you know you so obviously, much. we'll be What's a bit your flexible. Big? <laughs>
0: What's your biggest challenge here?
6: Um, I I still think it is the managing the perception of Mexico from a security point of view, from um, ensuring that people feel comfortable about bringing them, their family, or their company here. The reality is, is that there's parts of Mexico as equivalent to the south loop of Chicago on a weekend of where you may not want to be totally hanging out. It's just about being safe and being careful.
0: Right. But if you take a look, at, and this is my biggest pet peeve with the U.S. State Department, now that they've even revised their State Department advisory to even be more misleading. You know, if you have a State Department advisory for every country in the world, and you've got it tiered in four different levels, the minute you get beyond the first tier, people aren't coming. You know, the first tier says travel with normal caution. I have absolutely no idea what that means. But the second one says travel with increased caution. All right, they're not coming. That's it. You don't even have to get to the next two tiers. And what are they basing that on? Somebody tore their fingernail? I mean, <laughs> I mean seriously. I no, mean, I do, yeah. there are four states right now. In, we're in Mexico. There are four states right now in Mexico that have level four yeah. from the U.S. State Department, which says do not travel. Yeah. One of them is Sinaloa. What's in Sinaloa? It's Mazatlan. I, I don't have a problem in Mazatlan. It's great. So, the, the, if you actually look at the
6: numbers. The numbers of Americans coming to Mexico, it's pretty well, it's held up. Yes, it has. Because what I think is that when people who do eventually cross the border feel the culture, see the people, and realize that it's its not true, it simply is not true. And the, the number of people who return, who develop relationships with all the local people, it's, it's, it's families, supporting families. And the real bottom line is, you've been here how long? Six and a half years. If the fears were true, you wouldn't be here. I, I, I truly wouldn't. And I have, uh, of all the places that I've worked in around the world, to me, Mexico is the warmest, is the friendliest, uh, and is the is is the most fun. Mexicans. You know, I'm Irish. Although John, we, we did <laughs> have fun in Bali. We had a lot of fun in Bali and in Cairo. But uh, yeah, absolutely. But it's they really have got this spirit of of just wanting to be there now. Fly.
1: The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The
5: charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4.
0: My next guest, I never see her in L.A. I see her in New York, and now I'm seeing her here. She's a very special chef. In fact, she's the vegan chef. Here at the Four Seasons in, in Resort in Punta Mita, Leslie Durso, how are you?
3: I'm very well. Good morning. Happy to be here with you.
0: You know, when you take a look at restaurants and outlets and hotels... You know, they may have a vegan item on the menu. They might. They, or, they, or they'd or they call it vegetarian, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But you go beyond that. You, you, we
3: go way beyond that. So I always like to say, people say they have a vegan option. We have a vegan program because a vegan option means you might have one thing on the menu and the whole thing. And
0: by the way, property. it's always the same thing.
3: Always the same thing. For you know breakfast, it it's oatmeal well, well, no, and a fruit plate. No,
0: no, no. Listen. <laughs> You know what it is? For, I, I always ask, "Do you have a vegetarian option?" Because they don't—they mm-hmm. don't even talk about vegan. They just mm-hmm. talk about vegetarian. What do you think it is? Always,
3: I oily penne pasta with chopped vegetables into it.
0: Zucchini. Yeah,
3: zucchini.
0: I hate zucchini. <laughs> I, I've come to the point where I hate it because that's all there is.
3: Oh, you. I'm the one that's eating it everywhere I go. I know. I know. I was just so sick of it. And so I was so excited when the when I met up with the Four Seasons and with John, the general manager, and he said, let's do this. Let's create some magic. I said, no problem.
0: And I'm assuming you're doing this because there's there's been a demand for it.
3: There's a huge demand. Um, plant-based eating is the number one food trend uh, that, the, that we've ever seen. It blows out of the water. keto, Adkins, gluten-free, any of that. Uh, it's growing at such a rapid rate right now. 25% of all millennials identify as plant-based. If you want to grasp- This the... explains a
0: lot to me about millennials, but <laughs> <laughs> that's another
1: story. But if you but... want to
3: grasp that demographic, you have to offer healthy options. And I always say that my options are not just for vegans and vegetarians. They're for anybody. You know, I brought you I brought you some breakfast items to try. I brought you our avocado toast on homemade sourdough. Okay, but hold it, right there. Hold, about... it right there. Uh-huh. hold it right there. Hold it right
0: there. I know avocado toast is the rage now. It, it it's is. on everybody's menu. It is. It is.
3: Well, it's not always vegan.
0: Okay, then tell me what's vegan about so the, the avocado. So the bread hand. is
3: not always vegan. Ah, okay. It's often not vegan. So we're making in-house sourdough, which is vegan, and yeast-free. So we don't. Do, when I create a program, it's not just about catering to All vegans. right, so let's stop we right c- there.
0: Mm-hmm. When you came down here to the program, you had to re-educate the kitchen.
3: Oh, yeah. We did full chef training, staff training, because the... the Servers have to sell it. And so it's really about defining what all of these things are. You know, the number one uh, food allergy for kids under the age of 14 is lactose intolerance. Um, So it's so important that a family can bring their child down here and they can get non-dairy gelato. They can get gluten, vegan, gluten-free cookies, chocolate chip cookies. They can get all of the things that a kid wants to eat. And they don't have to be stuck eating sorbet because I hate sorbet and I don't want to put eating. I hate zucchini on a sorbet, child, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's really about being able to cater to anybody, and that's the Four Seasons. They make anything possible.
0: But here's the thing: you mentioned the word vegan mm-hmm. on anybody's menu, and it gives you a perception of bland. It gives you a perception of boring. It gives you a perception of flavorless. You had to overcome those obstacles.
3: A hundred percent. And I dare say that I can change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay. again, I go back to the fact that my food is not vegan food. My food is just delicious food that happens to not have any animal products in it.
0: Okay. So let's, we'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something else because you mentioned it before about gluten-free. Where were, I didn't even hear the word gluten 10 years ago. I didn't even know what it was. Well, the, and gl- now everybody who doesn't even have a problem is asking for it because they think it's a cool thing to do. I would like it gluten-free. Well, I also think um, it's a diet. But you know what? Yeah. I want to, here's my goal. Mm -hmm. This is my sixth sense of humor. I want to open a restaurant in New York and I have a title for the restaurant. You ready? Yeah. Gluten for punishment. (laughs) What do you think? And it's all gluten. (laughs) Everything in the restaurant, it's like gluten festival.
3: I want to eat there. I love gluten.
0: Are you admitting this on make, the show? You can oh, do it. Okay.
3: Yeah, I can make a lot of gluten-free food, but I eat gluten myself. But I am a vegan, and a, and I cook vegan food, too.
0: Okay, so no fish for you.
3: Well, I'm Italian, so I have to have gluten. Um, no fish, no dairy, no eggs, no chicken, no anything. No even little byproducts. No gelatin, um, no broths.
0: No gummy bears? No gummy bears. <laughs> There's a vegan
3: gummy bear company. Come on. There is.
0: Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Okay, there's hope for me. Yeah. Is there a vegan Swedish fish company?
3: Uh, I imagine that it's semi (laughs) similar. I don't know. You know, I don't like candy. I've never liked candy. You you know what
0: that means? What? More for me.
3: Yeah, exactly.
0: But let's get back to how you had to come down here, Mm -hmm. right, and reorient the thinking because let's face it, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, nobody knows what you're doing. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, seriously.
3: Yeah, well, that's why I'm here. And it was so fun to do because the chefs here are so talented. So what I'm basically doing is giving them new tools for their toolbox.
0: Are there such things as vegan chefs at hotels? Are you the only one?
3: As far as I know, I am.
0: I mean, I've never heard of it.
3: Well, yeah, I love doing consulting. I think it's great to have a vegan restaurant, but that really limits you to your city and to the people coming into that restaurant that are veg curious, I like to say. But when I get to implement my recipes into major hotel chains, you're reaching so many more people with
0: your food. Yeah, you are. And the thing is this, it's one thing to come down here with concepts, Mm -hmm. then you got to source it, Mm -hmm. right?
3: So everything is sourced with what I like, accessible ingredients. I don't like using weird, bizarre ingredients that are very strange. You're not going to see any tempeh on this menu. You're not going to see any seitan on this menu. You're not going to see anything. Oh, oh, I
0: got one for you. Okay. Yeah. A couple of years ago, an ex-girlfriend of mine, and this is not why she's an ex-girlfriend, but it did contribute to it, said to me, I'm going to take you to this incredible vegan restaurant in New York, right? I went, really? <laughs> right. Okay. So she takes me to the restaurant, and what do they have on the menu? Vegan bacon. Oh, my God. It was not edible.
3: Oh, I'm so sorry. What do they call it? Tempeh bacon? That was it. Oh, God.
0: I mean, stop it. It
3: it can be a little like cardboard. A little like cardboard. It was cardboard. So I don't even put that on the menu.
0: Although, however, with enough honey mustard sauce, I would eat cardboard. (laughs) So there's there's hope for me, but that was not a pleasant experience. And the other thing that got me crazy Mm -hmm. about it, which is not you, by the way, which was one of the reasons why we love you, but one of the things that got me was everybody in that restaurant whispered, They were all like escape librarians, like, we have special (laughs) bacon. And we have special... I said, can you please talk up what? Yeah. what's the... It's all, like they're all in the witness relocation program. They're all, they're all kind of whispering. Like, that's so bizarre. Like bad librarians. No, anyway.
3: for me, it's really about creating food and playing with it in a different way and manipulating it. So like we have a portobello zarondiato on the menu at Bahia.
0: Now, wait, wait, what is that?
3: So fish zarondiato is a traditional um, dish of this region. And it's a, I believe we use a snapper and it's marinated in a zarondiato chili sauce and then it's grilled and served.
0: So it's got a little, a lot of kick to it
3: yeah it's beautiful and this the sauce for it is delicious and it's vegan so i said okay what can i do to create this very buttery fish like and you went with a mushroom so but not just a mushroom i took that portobello mushroom i sous i marinated i sous vide it and then you cook it on a low temperature after it's been vacuum-packed. Take all that air out of it. It creates this beautiful, rich, buttery texture of the mushroom. I, lo- so I love how you talk about this. Like, it. I would
0: like to know how to take all the air out of my mushroom. I'm happy to even <laughs> recognize a mushroom.
3: Well, those are the fun things that I get to do, having yeah. a science background and a food. But and then once so- you do
0: that, you train the chefs. Yeah. So they know how to do it.
3: Yep, exactly.
0: And it tastes just like the Red Snapper without the Red Snapper. It doesn't Snapper.
3: taste just like the Red Snapper, but it gives you the sense that you're eating vegetables elevated. Instead of just, here, here's some zucchini on the plate for you. <laughs> and it's usually overcooked.
0: You know what? We have a new name for a new restaurant we could open together. Ready? Tell me. Not zucchini on a plate. <laughs> How about that?
3: I think it'd be a huge hit. I mean, seriously. I think it'd be a huge hit.
0: But you know what? If you do green beans right, if you do Brussels sprouts right, mm-hmm. if you do asparagus right, I'm in for the, I'm in for the long run.
3: I mean, you really should try some of our dishes here. It will open your mind and change the way that you think. All right, about so there's
0: continued. the avocado toast that's gluten-free. Mm-hmm. And to- um, This
3: this toast is not gluten-free. Ah. It is gluten-free available, though. I okay. brought you the homemade sourdough because okay. I love you, it. You
0: were cutting me a little slack here. Okay, <laughs> and what's in that?
3: This is our Aztec superfood breakfast. This is a berry chia seed pudding that's been soaked overnight, so the chia seeds are, are in great consistency with amaranth granola. chia
0: seeds, chia seeds, yeah, chia seeds. So okay. chia
3: and amaranth are local to this area, and they're both superfood seeds. And the it's said that the Aztecs used to go to battle and survive on nothing but chia seeds because they were really small and light. and okay, then when but you, you get do them wet you, they you swell.
0: You do know they're the Aztecs are extinct now.
3: Well,
0: I'm, I'm, well they I'm, were very could strong, it be dietary? I don't know. <laughs> warriors too. <laughs> But that's, and that's, and that's your breakfast.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And we sell a ton of them because it's just sometimes people want light, refreshing things at breakfast. They don't always want a plate of eggs and bacon and potatoes. Okay, we have I'm, that too.
0: I'm going to ask the really stupid question mm-hmm. now. I'm going to presume that your menu is not heavily loaded with sugar. It's not. Okay.
3: Except for the desserts, which are really good.
0: <laughs> okay, we'll get to that. Okay. But most of them are not, right? Yeah. So
3: Most of them don't contain any sugar
0: which is even better. Yeah. Especially uh, you know, product sugar. It's just mm-hmm. terrible, right? Processed sugar. Yeah. Is oh my god.
3: Yeah. That's we could do an entire story on that.
0: I mean, uh, if if I actually did an analysis of what I'm ingesting in my body every day in terms of sugar, I would have to kill myself. In fact, I might actually be killing myself for that. I mean,
3: You probably are, Peter. I
0: know. We, we should talk about this. We we will. Okay. But it's I mean, not okay. I, I know. <laughs> but but hey, I don't drink coffee.
3: Okay. I don't drink tea. I love the butt haze. Uh, That's how always people justify their bad eating habits to somebody who doesn't have Excuse me. No any. coffee,
0: no tea, no uh-huh, alcohol. Uh-huh. Right? Okay. So far so good. So far, so good. Okay, and a, a Swedish fish and gummy bears.
3: <laughs> but the thing is, sugar is highly inflammatory. And so yeah. you what you want to do is just think about all those... I mean, this is a whole diet thing that we can go down, but you really want to keep everything in your body moving as much as possible. And so you want to stick to things that are anti-inflammatory, things that are going to calm your body and move and not create stagnation. Hello
1: and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now.
0: I've been coming down to this location probably 35 years because, as I said earlier in the show, I came down here a long time ago to interview the famous American director, John Houston, who used to live uh, not far from here, in the small fishing village that used to be called Puerto Vallarta. Not small anymore, but lots of stories there as well. But the real stories you can find from my next guest, and I'm I'm glad to see him again because when I come back here, I always see him. He's the actual cultural concierge here at the Four Seasons, and Enrique Alejos, how are you, sir? Good morning, Peter. You know, when you think about this region, I mean, it's, it's had a lot of growth, but the culture stays the same. And yet most Americans, or I should say most visitors who come down here, aren't really uh, up to speed on that. Um, and the, the real problem with most Americans, I'm, and I'm saying this as an American, is we never usually leave the resort. So if we can't leave the resort to get the culture, somehow you have to figure out, as your, your challenge, is how to get the culture back to me. And how do you do that?
10: Well, I have a, an office where I have many different items from the local cultures. Actually, my office is an art gallery as well from local painters and sculptors, no? And every day, there is something going on there. We have every, every day, lectures, workshops about the Wichol Nation, you know, which is the native group from this particular region of Mexico. Right. I teach the, the guests how to work with a, a wooden shape, coat with beeswax, and apply one-by-one one glass beads to create beautiful and colorful shapes, explaining about the, the meaning of each, of each element. So it basically,
0: is, you're, you're allowing me to regress into arts and crafts. <laughs> I <laughs> it's, try. <laughs> it's my summer camp days.
10: Yes, and I also, for example, explain about the history of Punta Mita, about the history of the region, how the region has evolved through the years.
0: Well, let's talk about that because, you know, people fly into the airport in Puerto Vallarta and 40 minutes later they're here and they don't really get a chance to see what's been going on.
10: Okay. Well, Punta Mita, as it's known nowadays, before that it was named Tintoc. It was a trading port. Let's say that about 800 years ago, This place was visited by commerce people coming all the way down from Peru up to the south part of the U.S. Uh, Obviously, stopping in coastal regions, Punta Mita was a place to exchange from uh, seashells to spondylus murex, you know, a, a shell that colors purple yep. the, the, the the fabrics
0: that was the currency
10: later in Mesoamerica, currency was cacao yeah but I mean here was the currency you know shells and it was bartering no but it's it, it was a strong trading route along the coast of the Pacific and uh, well we for example we get in Mexico tumis tumis like the Peruvian ones in the state of Michoacán there are they they have tumis similar to the ones that they used in Peru for for sacrifices no yeah And uh, we also have stirrup spout vessels, like the ones they have also in Peru, but we have them here in Michoacan as well. So we had a large uh, cultural exchange between eight and 200 years ago.
0: And that continues to this day, when you think about it. Yes,
10: actually after the conquest, we had an intense- After the Spanish conquest. Yes, yes, in 1528. We had a 200 year intense commerce route between Asia, Mexico, Europe, Mexico. Both sides of the country had a a very, (coughs) Fluent commerce, exchanging cooking elements, exchanging cooking techniques. That's why modern Mexican gastronomy is so diverse, colorful, flavorful. Mexico celebrates. You had all these influences. Uh-huh, all yeah. these influences, like uh, you know, cacao. Cacao is native to Mesoamerica, but it was brought to Europe and was refined, making it a sweet, tasty beverage. That was brought back to Mexico uh, with enhanced with pastry, churros, mud it became a part of the Mexican tradition having chocolate that way, when originally it was a bitter beverage,
0: a of bitter course.
10: alcoholic beverage.
0: And to this day, we, now that we're, we, we think we're so sophisticated, when we can look at a chocolate bar and say it's 82% cacao, <laughs> if it's 82% cacao, it's, it's bitter. Uh-huh. That's the meaning of cacao. I know. Bitter. It is. <laughs> it is. Now we know. <laughs> but one of the things I noticed here at the, at the resort, which I found was really, really nice, and it was, it was sort of almost organically in, in, evolved. And that you had these little easels for the kids to paint. Yes, yes, yes. And the kids do it.
10: There is beauty in Punta Mita. Wherever you turn your face, you'll find beauty. We're a blessed place. Year-round, we have beautiful and attractive things around. You may notice that the area is well kept by the gardeners. We have a lot of birds around. They have a beautiful scenery. We have a beautiful ocean. During the winter and part of the spring, we have Whales breaching every morning Most in front well, of yes. your room. Yeah. I, I release baby turtles with the guests every really? single afternoon during uh, six, no, sorry, eight months per year. Uh, yeah, we also support conservation programs. And uh, I remember one afternoon two years ago, I was placing baby turtles on the sand with our guests. I say, life is beautiful. Could it be better? Yes, it could be better. In front of us, some wells started breaching. And I say, could it be better? (laughs) Yes, it could be better. (laughs) Two rainbows showed up on (laughs) our right-hand side. Not one, two rainbows. And I I, I didn't ask for more. But yeah, God gave us one more beautiful thing. Purple, no, sorry, a, a pink, reddish sunset on the left. Wow, that's perfect, that's beautiful. And that happens here in Punta Mita.
0: But at the same time, it's one thing to look at it, it's another thing. To explain it and to let people get involved in it in a responsible mm-hmm. way, right? Yes. At the end of the day, if you don't teach them about the history and provide that perspective, they've learned nothing.
10: Yes. And as I start the induction to the Turtle Release, I tell my guests, not a lot of people in the world has been able to save uh, a life. Tonight, you'll become part of that privileged group of people who have been able to save lives. They'll be saving baby turtle lives that afternoon. What a beautiful thing. Giving yeah. a life a chance.
0: Exactly. It's a privilege. And you know what? Once you get people involved and they can connect the dots... They become big allies. And they can tell their friends. That's uh-huh. that's the word-of-mouth problem. Mm-hmm. You, know? you don't have that, it, it, it's done in a vacuum.
10: We, in I think, we do not only sell accommodations and impeccable service. We sell experiences. Something that is unique to the place. The
1: world, Should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant seventy-five dollars and sixty-three cents.
0: But as you heard during the show, I've been talking about another organization where you have a local option. And we always like to, to localize those options, and we're here right here in, in Punta Mita, and that is Entre Amigos. And joining me now, the founder of Entre Amigos, Nicole Swedlow. How are you? I'm great. I'm great you're a, thank you're you. an expat from from uh, from Lake Arrowhead, California. I sure am. And you've been down here how long? 18 years. Came on vacation.
4: Yeah. Came on vacation with my uh, 11-month-old son. And uh, my two-week vacation turned into two months and uh, two years, uh, divorce, and the rest of my life.
0: Well, you forgot. Divorce, freedom, <laughs> and the rest of your life. Something like that. Yeah. But tell me about Entre Amigos.
4: Entre Amigos uh, Started on my kitchen table. It was uh, an intention, living in a really small rural community, to just try to contribute in a positive way. And I wasn't really sure of exactly how, how to go about it, how that would look. But I figured I could uh, teach a few things I'd learned in Girl Scouts. And so, really, honestly, I uh, gave some craft classes. To Hopefully, you weren't
0: language. selling s'mores. Not quite. Okay. Although
4: I'm sure we made s'mores on the I
0: Yes, you did. <laughs>
4: Yeah, we just started uh, doing different things that we saw could contribute in some way, mostly with the kids in the community and education. And eventually we built a small library, then we moved that library upstairs. I
0: mean, this really started in the house.
4: It started in the house. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But what made you want to do that? What did you see that said, I need to do this?
4: Mm. I had been living in this community for a year and a half and what I saw was this really beautiful uh, rural community where people didn't have a whole lot of income options and lived this amazing quality of life along this ocean and the jungle and everything was spectacular and it was being discovered. And that along was Along with that Along with that comes lots of tourism, lots of people and lots of change and for the people, the community, it was okay. Like they, This meant work, and this meant different kinds of options, but the r- reality was that I had come out of living in lots of different kinds of tourist communities and my concern was that maybe I could do something to give the kids of the community and the people of the community a few more skills to be prepared for those changes that were coming and to look at a way that we could create communities so that one one community doesn't come in and completely change or kick out or move out that original beautiful reason that in everybody was there and So the intention entre amigos in Spanish means among friends. Of course, yes. And this idea was could we build up our community together? Could we do things that are good for everyone? Can we learn together? Can we share together? And so, Well, give me
0: a sense of, of, of place if you can. How big a community are we talking about?
4: at the time it was uh, 1500 people small maybe 2000 max very small very small just on the side of you know it was sort of a little bit too far out from the the major tourist area which was puerto vallarta and so only your brave adventurers got up that far
0: and by the way when you talk about a major tourist area of puerto (laughs) vallarta Puerto Vallarta, when I first came down here, was a sleepy little fishing village.
4: It's the same deal, yeah. right? You know, things change and evolve and change. And for us, Puerto Vallarta was the big town. And uh, and San Pancho was the, the sleepy fishing village.
0: Well, speaking of sleepy fishing villages, mm-hmm. when you first came down here, how was your adjustment?
4: Well, I, you know, I never quite imagined that I was staying. So I was, in, in some way, when I first came down here, I was just on vacation. You were another tourist. I was tourist. on a longer vacation. Yeah. Um, I was
0: what was it What was the turning point
4: time it just sort of evolved in in such a way I, you know initially the idea was to spend some quality time with my son, and my husband kind of flew back and forth, and I was able to just have this precious mothering time with my baby and then I had another baby, and so I was really involved in being a mom and for me, the turning point of making a choice to live here was really when I got divorced, and my whole family was saying come back, you know, what do you do? Because that would
0: normally be what you would do.
4: That's what you would do, and that's where it was safe. And in fact, I had a friend, a former teacher of mine, who, who I was having a conversation with when I was really trying to figure it out, and he said, you know, you can always come back. Like, that's your safe zone, but this is an opportunity to do something that you feel called to, and so why don't you do it? And if it doesn't work or it's not the right thing, you have this safe place to go, and you're never going to know if you don't do it now.
0: Well, I've always said that nothing of, ever, of any importance, worth, value, or substance was ever accomplished by the obsessive pursuit of safety. Yeah. So, but there you were as a single mom with two kids taking a pretty big risk.
4: I guess. You could look at it or you could look at it. I was living a spectacular quality of life. I was getting to have my kids next to me every single day.
0: But your friends back in California probably thought you were nuts. Sure. Sure. Have they come to visit you since? Sure. And, they, <laughs> and some of them now live here because uh, there you go. They, they that's what happens it out. to you, a, yeah. right? So they don't think you're nuts anymore. No,
4: no, 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 no. And my family, you know, my mom's here visiting right now. My family comes down with all their kids and it's so been So really tell special.
0: me how Entre Amigos has evolved now so that people listening to the show, if they come down, presumably like you did on vacation, can also get involved.
4: Yeah, Entre Amigos has become a big organization. Um, We evolved from this little table on the street uh, to renovating a large warehouse. It's 15,000 square feet warehouse, and it's entirely designed with recycled materials. It was entirely done through community projects. It's a library with 8,000 books. It has 600 classes a year. It has a sports center, and um, we put on all sorts of events and festivals, and it's really a space for people to come and do exactly what the intention was, to sort of mingle and mix and be this nexus for our community so that we can all kind of grow up together and do great things together. And it continues to work that way. Now this
0: warehouse open to all ages?
4: Yeah, sure, sure. There's uh, women's programs and student programs. There's a large scholarship program. We have more than 100 kids that we are sending to school in some capacity. And how do
0: you interface with the tourism industry? How do you interface with hotels like the Four Seasons?
4: Sure. Well, one of the things that's interesting about our model and, and really distinct about our model is, is that we, we really believe that it's our responsibility to generate the revenue that we need in order to be sustainable for the long term. So that this isn't an organization that's just entirely um, dependent on donations. an organization that is able to create work for our people and our community, and in that same space, stay alive and continue the work that we do. So we interface because we run two stores on site. We create all sorts of products um, in our community. So for example, we make uh, all sorts of products out of recycled materials. We do all the recycling in our community, so we recycle glass, plastic, cardboard, et cetera, and we bring that into our facility, and then we turn it into something else, and that's something else we sell. So for example, uh, wine bottles are turned into glasses. The glasses can be etched. Those etched glasses get sold to places like uh, the Four Seasons and places like different kinds of restaurants and stuff like that. And so that enables us to generate jobs, teach new skills, um, create scholarships for students, and continue the work that we're doing in our community. So
0: you built a financially sustainable model.
4: Yeah, it's one of the things that I think is really special. It's financially sustainable as long as there's what is in this region, which is a flow of tourism and a flow of people and and resources, just like anywhere. But it's a model that is um, 80% sustainable at this point. So we generate 80% of our operating revenue on site and with the different small businesses and programs and things that we do.
0: Well, perhaps most important, somebody listening to the show who's thinking of coming down here or staying at this hotel, for example, the Four Seasons, how do they get involved with you guys?
4: Sure. Um, It's another part of our model. So one of the things that we do is we... um, want and need help. We support all sorts of schools in the region and all sorts of places above and beyond just the work that we do on site. And so groups come down. Sometimes it's individuals and families. And in that case, you just contact us and say, hey, I'm coming. And is there something I can do? And what can they do? Depends on the day. Every day is different. We, um, we always have, you know, sort of on-site maintenance projects, on-site reading with kids, on-site doing an art project. A lot of families, what's really easy is for them to plan maybe an art project or a sports project, bring all their materials, show up, and, and do that. And it doesn't matter that they speak Spanish or they don't. It's just fun. Total I have
1: a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
0: My next guest has a first and last name. <laughs> He's the spa director here. Luis Molina, how are you? Hello, very good. Thank you, know, you very much. You know, every hotel, and let's, let's be honest, every hotel is a spa, okay? That's, it, it, you can't. I mean, you, you go in the yeah, middle of Armpit, park, Kansas, park, there's a hotel there. that's got a spa. Absolutely, absolutely. But that means yes. that the name word, the name spa often gets misused, um, mm-hmm. you know, because people think it's either more than what it is or it's less than what it is. How do you define spa here at the Four Seasons?
9: Yeah, uh, the point that in the last probably 10, 15 years, uh, the spa word, as you said, has been used for almost everything and has been absorbing other businesses. They could be maybe, I don't know, like a nail a playstation or maybe a hair salon and now it's a spa salon, now it's a nail spa, so now it's everything sounding kind of a spa, right? So that that's why also uh, it, it gives you the sensation that the spa world has been growing, but this mostly, first of all, as you said, every single five-star hotel has a spa. Of course. No, number two, has been absorbing other businesses as well so finally... But it's a little confusing. Exactly. Exactly, but at the same time, I believe that we are talking about taking care of yourself. This is your time, even for nails or hair or body or massage or facial. So at the end, the spa word means more like you, right? So it's your time, it's your moment. So just be here and relax.
0: Okay, so let's 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 go down the menu for a second because. Okay. Every spa is going to give you the basics, right? You, you can get a massage, mm-hmm. you can get a facial, mm-hmm. uh, you can get a scrub. That's right. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, manicure, pedicure, hair. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the basics, right? Okay. But what distinguishes your spa beyond the basics?
9: Yeah, you, you have to be original, you have to be exclusive. So for that, going to the local product, going to the local culture, going to the place that you are making your spa unique is what really is going to differentiate you from the rest.
0: I mean, look, you, you did a spa in Abu Dhabi. That's a different mm-hmm. experience than doing a spa here in Mexico. Absolutely. So you mentioned local ingredients. Okay. What kind of local ingredients are you using well, that you wouldn't be able to find maybe. at a spot in Cleveland, for example?
9: Exactly. Well, in here, well, we're in Mexico, so tequila is the main ingredient for almost everything, and we have a, Punta a tequila massage. massage? Exactly. No. Yes. <laughs> yes, way. <wait. laughs> and we have at least a-
0: look. At least it's not the mezcal massage because
6: then you have to deal. You have to deal with the worm. <laughs>
9: Well, actually, we do also the manicure and a pedicure with tequila, and we use a, a little salt, so it giving you like a scrub as well, and then we'll give you that, because, you know, we are next to the wish holes, right? And the wish used to use that type of liquor for rubbing themselves and making like feel better. So it's kind of... Uh, as I said before, just going through the locals and see what they were doing. And just, we give you, obviously, a five-star experience. So it's not going to be just like that.
0: Now, I used to laugh because every brochure for every spa had the same picture. Mm-hmm. It was the picture of the naked woman with five stones on her butt. Right? I know. Stop it. <laughs> yes, yes, you know, yes. I mean, yes. really. I mean, and, 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 and I got and, it. Hot rocks. I got it. Mm-hmm. You know.
9: and, and you're never going to get the hot stones massage that way. So, it's more of a, an imagination, of a dream, or kind of like, you know, aesthetic way yeah. of attracting people and in, in, in going to the spa and say, hey, here we have the hot stones, right?
0: But you also use the cactus leaf here. A bit better. You use the cactus leaf here. Yes. Cactus how, explain leaf. how that That's
9: works. That's right. That we call it a hakali, a massage. And again, we come back to the locals, we come back where we are. Right, and the gel, which is coming out from the cactus leaf, is the one who's gonna give you the properties for your skin, and it's gonna improve the blood circulation as well. So after that, we use a, a sage cream, which is also made locally. <laughs> so <laughs> no, every I love it. Keep is, it local. Why not? Exactly. Exactly. So it's giving our treatments a uh, uh, exclusive uh, exclusivity for the guests. So they have to come here to get them.
0: And do they work?
9: They do, they do, because you know uh, we are made of nature, and anything that is coming organic is going to be 100% from, from nature, it's going to be absorbed by the body perfectly well.
0: And you do a sea salt scrub too? Oh, absolutely. And you've got the sea right here, it can't be. Mean- exactly. Mm-hmm. But where's the, the salt pe- coming from?
9: That's the point. The point is that the, it, the idea was more coming from the margarita. Come fly
10: with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar.
0: One of the things that distinguishes this resort, like many Four Seasons resorts, is uh, the food offering and the different venues all around the resort, the different restaurants, the different opportunities to sample not just local cuisine, but uh, cuisine you probably haven't seen before simply because they have things here that you haven't eaten before. Uh, And joining me now, the executive chef right here at the Four Seasons Resort is Jorge Gonzalez. How are you, sir?
7: Good morning, everyone. Very good. Thank you. I
0: remember seeing you here like, 12 or 13 years ago. Then you came back.
7: Yes, I started my career in here in 2003.
0: Yeah, doing what?
7: I was a chef de partie at the time. At right. The Ketsu restaurant.
0: And then you had to move up the ranks. Yes, <laughs> I did. When I first came here, and this, this goes back to when Richard Sandoval was just opening his restaurant here too. When I first came here, sourcing was a little bit of a problem you know you, you you want to have great stuff on the menu but then how did you get it now the good news is you can source just about anything here now can't you
7: yes absolutely especially the local product we've been sourcing it and uh, we've been working with it
0: you're working with the local farmers too yes for example like what
7: we are doing uh, basically we are working for the fisherman town with la cruz de guanacaxel in punta emita and we have a farmer's market every sunday so we didn't have that that Few years back,
0: so you're shopping at that market
7: exactly too. We're doing the shopping there. We're making the relationship with some producers and with us. So that's very interesting. That was not happening many years ago.
0: Well, when I was here, uh, and then maybe this has changed, but I remember one morning having breakfast, and a boat came in and basically beached on the sand. And what was in that boat? What they caught for fish that day. Yeah, that's the catch of the day. And literally the catch of the day. is literally mm-hmm. the boat beaches on the sand. Exactly. And you go down and pick what you want. Exactly. So are you still doing that?
7: Yes. Every Thursday, Thursdays and Saturdays at eleven thirty in front of Bahia restaurant, you will see the boat coming in, you will you will meet the, the fishermen and we will discuss about the fish. It is always a surprise for us because You don't know what's on the boat. We never gonna be we never know what's gonna be on the cooler. Sometimes well, the, uh, yeah. the, the cooler seems so heavy, that's, that's a very great sign that it's that is full of fish in there. It's, it's but what kind of, you yeah,
0: have red snapper?
7: And like the common fish in the area year-round is the red snapper and the mahi-mahi. Sometimes we get surprises, like uh, rainbow runners, we have some amberjack in season, and a beehive jack, and then we have some groupers, and then we have flounders, and, and so it's a variety of... Very exciting fishes. And country. where's the
0: octopus coming from?
7: The octopus, that's a different history. You need to go and cut it during the night, and that's by hand. Or fishermen do it by hand. Really? So they go free diving. That's the way to do lobster and octopus, free diving.
0: So if I'm ordering lobster here, it was caught by hand by free divers?
7: Exactly. Only in season two. Wow. And, and also yellowfin tuna. We don't buy any... Yellowfin tuna, when it's available, when it's in season, when it's fresh. Now they call me on the phone when they're in the boat, like, Chef, we have a 90 kilos tuna. Do you want it? That's yeah, it. Bring it in.
0: Bring it in. <laughs> That's
7: the way it works for the fish. So we only work with the local products. So
0: no middlemen, just fishermen directly. Yeah, exactly. That's the exactly. way it used to be. Exactly. Now you go to other hotels, they're dealing with food purveyors and, and distributors. This is truly boat to the table.
7: Exactly. Exactly. And uh, it's the most sustainable way to work with, you know? We help the region, we help the community, and we offer the best product available on the, in the region.
0: Now, obviously there's a reverse approach to this too, which is what you know it's popular on your menu, so you can always tell the fisherman, hey, if you happen to get this fish today, we want it, because we, we know it's a popular item on the menu.
7: Exactly. So
0: the most popular item on your menu as, to, as it deals with fish is?
7: Uh, every time every time the catch of the day, like the catch of the day is the most popular item everywhere, even, even Bahia or Aramara. Los Catrinas, ceviche by the beach. Did by you
0: say the... Los Catrinas. That's the restaurant. Yeah, it's the okay. new restaurant. Got it. So the thing is, but but on the menu itself, forgetting the catch of the day, when people come here to order stuff, what's the thing they like the most? Fish tacos. <laughs> that's
7: that's the it? most The most. Popular item right now, everywhere in the resort. If you see, fish tacos. That's what, it's the most popular one.
0: And you're making the fish tacos with what?
7: Uh, the snapper or Mahi Mahi. Right, because that's it the most- well, Because most of the time the people spend the, the day by the beach or by the pool. And right there is the fish tacos is the most popular dish right now at this resort.
0: Wow, <laughs> I love it. And ceviche?
7: And the ceviche, yes. We do the catch of the day ceviche or the seafood ceviche too.
0: Wow. Now, I always ask the chef this question, and you're no exception. I'm going to ask you to. And you've had two, two reigns here, you, the before and after, so you, you have some perspective here. What's the one thing that you put on your menu that you thought people were going to love and you couldn't sell one of them? And then what was the one thing that you figured, okay, so I'll put it on the menu, but who's going to order this? And everybody did.
7: For instance, in Dos Catrinas, we have these beef tongue tacos, which I love.
0: Them. Beef tongue tacos. Exactly. You may want to rename that.
7: <laughs> it's, a, it's a surprise for us. It's been popular. Oh, it has? It is popular. Oh,
0: I thought it was going to be the other way around. Okay.
7: Like, like beef, if you think uh, beef tongue is like, oh, some people love them, some, te- some people don't. But now you find it in a menu in dinner time. And people go for it. And people go for it. Okay. So and, okay.
0: and the one that tanked?
7: The one that tanked, I would think uh, the bone marrow's in. in Okay, so but people is not very popular. All right,
0: but the beef tongue, surprisingly, it's flying off the shelf. Exactly. Amazing. Jorge Gonzalez, the executive chef here at the Futomita Resort at Four Seasons. Thank you so much, man.
5: You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world.
1: Survivor's back, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist a new co host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladaris. Hi. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.
3: Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary, it is a show that's all about you.